are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 42 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today, one of my guest hosts, Carl, is interviewing Jenny Page about her experience of grief following the tragic death of her son at the age of three and a half in 2011. And I really, really enjoyed listening to this interview. And I'm so grateful to Jenny for coming onto the show and sharing her experience. Um, I think she is a hugely inspiring woman, as well as being super hardcore when it comes to sport. She is a ninja warrior. So she's been on a ninja warrior show and she does weightlifting and rock climbing and running and, and all these things. And the title of this week's episode is around overcoming grief through faith, art and sport. Um, and I think that pretty much sums up a lot of what Jenny D talks about in this episode. Now, she's a lot, obviously, a lot further along in her grief journey than I guess many of you listening will be. So she's had the time and that that space to perhaps come to terms with her loss Um but I think that, uh, as you'll hear when she talks, she has some really productive and creative outlets for her grief that helped her through those really difficult periods, helped both her and her husband um, through. And she does talk about um, her relationship with her husband and how they stay together, perhaps against against the odds following the experience they went through. Jenny does talk a lot about her faith, her Christian faith, which um, comes through in her approach to life and in her artwork as well. She's a professional oil painter. But I think that even if you're not a person of faith, I think she's got some really wise words. And um, there's a lot you can take from this episode that I hope will help you in your own grief journey and perhaps give you a bit of hope that you know there there is life after loss and that perhaps if you're in those really really dark early days of your loss and everything feels a bit hopeless you know there there is a light um and you know you just have to keep going and one day you will get to a place where you you will carry your grief but you will feel um like it is part of you but does not overwhelm you so I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did. And a huge thanks to Carl, who is also uh, an athlete himself and has also been on, on the podcast talking about his experience of recurrent miscarriage. Um, so thank you, Carl, for um, doing this interview um, and inviting Jenny onto the show. Just, uh, I also just want to take this opportunity to do a big shout out and thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. It really helps not only give me the kind of some of the financial support to keep this podcast running and cover the kind of day to day costs of hosting the show, but it also gives me a huge boost in motivation and helps me. I guess it, it makes me realise how beneficial this podcast is for people um, and how worthwhile it is. Um, because sometimes I do, you know, feel like I'm I'm talking into the void and I'm so grateful to 
all my guests who who are so brave to come on and share their stories um and so it's really it, it's lovely to have that kind of support as well as kind of messages from people who say they found the podcast useful um and helping them through their grief so thank you to all my patreon supporters if you do want to support the podcast you can do so from just a few pounds a month go to patreon.com slash footprints on our hearts I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll be back next week. Okay, this is Carl. I'm standing in place of Alison on the Footprints on Our Heart podcast. And today we have with us uh, Jenity Page. So Jenity, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you and your family are about. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Carl. Um, yeah, my name is Jenity Page and I am a full-time professional oil painter and I've been painting for uh, about 14 years and um, married, I've had four kids and I'm also an athlete. Um, started out as a runner and in recent years have moved on to ninja obstacle course competitions. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's kind of like a brief synopsis. Um, you want more than that? <laughs> um, so I was just going to ask you about your family. Okay. Um, so you said that you're married and you said that you have four children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got four kids and uh, my oldest son passed away when he was three and a half, um, but he would be 12. Um, he passed away in November of 2011. And um, I now have a 10-year-old and eight-year-old um, boys and a six-year-old daughter. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. And... Um, and so I guess the purpose of this podcast is often to um, talk about those journeys through grief that um, we parents uh, experience on occasion. Um, and I think one of the really key things is in understanding that journey of grief. And so I think it, it's you're probably really well placed thinking about the time since your um, oldest son's death um, to maybe talk a little bit about what um, grief was like initially and then, you know, moving on with time, how things have changed for you guys. Yeah, sure. So um, in, in 2010, um, I had uh, two boys. And my husband and I were living in Los Angeles, California, and he decided to go to grad school. And so we moved to Arizona and we moved in with my parents. Otherwise, we would not be able to afford grad school. <laughs> and my mom and, and dad lived on an acre that had a, a swimming pool and also a pond. And my mom was really nervous bringing our two little boys. Um, one was... Uh, two when we moved in and the other was just like three weeks old. And so she fenced off her, her whole yard essentially just, and we put alarms on the doors and tried to make it as safe as we could. 
And I told my mom, I said, don't worry about it. I mean, it's going to be fine. We've got all these protections put in place. And uh, we lived there a whole year, um, just great. And then um, in the fall, like September 26, 2011, uh, just one morning, a perfect storm arose where some things were left open and I found my son in the pool and we pulled him out and performed CPR and called the paramedics. And I just remember that shock and and just wondering like, why are the paramedics not here yet? Why is this taking so long? And I remember telling them on the phone, why are you not here yet? I need you to, you know, and they came and he was resuscitated and we were, uh, he was life lighted to a hospital. Um, and then we experienced two months in the hospital with him. Um, I think a lot of people, when I share my story, just assume that maybe he was on life support or something. Um, but that wasn't the case. Actually, his, his vital organs were performing really well. And um, he was only intubated uh, for a week. And um, but the problem was that he damaged his basal ganglia, which is like your control center of the brain. And it caused something called sympathetic storming, which is like the sympathetic nervous system kind of goes into overdrive. And it looks kind of like a seizure. Like all of his muscles would flex, his heart rate would go sky high, his respiratory rate would go sky high. And, um, and, and as a mom, like all you could do is just like watch him. And they would try to give him all kinds of drugs, you know, morphine, Valium, nothing could stop these episodes. And at first they lasted like 20 minutes. And then um, as time progressed, they got longer and longer until the week um, that he passed away, they were like 48 hours of his whole body being in, in a, in a fleck, flexion. I don't know. <laughs> Um, and so it literally just broke his little frame. He was only three years old. And um, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, been raised in a Christian home my whole life. And so that time in the hospital was very sacred to me. Um, I spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in the Bible. And I just waited for God to perform a miracle. I really did. I just, I knew that he had raised um people from the dead in the Bible. And I had all this faith that God could heal my son. And so I just waited for that to happen. And so when he eventually passed away, I was devastated. I, I mean, not only was my son gone, but I think my whole kind of faith world was shook because I was like, why would you do that? Like, why would you take this young mother with all the faith in the world and not perform the miracle she expected you to? And uh, so I wrote in my journal, I've been a, a journal keeper since I was 11. And I wrote in my journal the day after my son passed away. And I just said, like, where's my story in like, why, why don't you have this story in the Bible where you've got, you know, a person with all the faith in the world and then they don't get what they want. <laughs> And, um, and then God reminded me that um, his son also died and that sometimes people have to die. And that was like a really sobering uh, lesson for me. And I, want, I was mad. <laughs> I told God how mad I was all the time. I'm very honest with him. 
Um, but I didn't have anywhere else to go. I mean, if, if, if I didn't have my faith, I don't know, I, I don't know where else I could have gone for comfort. And so even though I was mad at God, I still just kept kind of showing up every day. <laughs> I would still pray, telling I was really mad still, and write in my journal, really still mad, and then um, just kind of was vulnerable enough with him to get kind of all the anger out and then allow space for healing to begin. Um, I do remember the first six months was like a fog. It, it was like it was like my son passed away November 12th, and then two weeks later was Thanksgiving, and then it was Christmas. And I just remember all those months like I didn't even know what was going on. <laughs> it was just like was just like floating through my life. And I really felt like I was on kind of a spiritual morphine drip, like a spiritual painkiller, like that I was just numb everywhere so that I couldn't feel all the pain. And I think that was probably a, a mercy of God. Um, but then about six months after the fact, it was kind of, I felt like God had, had been carrying me and all of a sudden he was like, okay, Janet D, we're going to have to put you down now and make sure you can still stand on your own two feet and going to kind of have to take you off this spiritual, emotional painkiller I've had you on. <laughs> And that was really hard because it's kind of like the dust had settled after the fire, you know, and I just looked around and I saw how completely broken I was just totally shattered. And I would look out the window uh, of our, our home and see moms like taking their groceries in or bringing their kids home from school. And I would just be like, how is it that everybody is just, their life is just normal and everything's going on. And yet my world is in pieces on the floor. So um, where do you, where do you start to even begin when you're in this super broken space? Right. And um, there were several things that I did that I feel like God kind of put in my life to help me heal. Um, one of them was running. I, I started running when I was um, 14 and I wasn't good. I just joined honestly because I had a crush on a boy on the track team. <laughs> but, um, and I wasn't fast. I remember the first day of, tr of like track practice, they lined all of us up and they had us do sprints and I was like dead last. And the coach was like, so the distance team meets over here. And so by default, I became a distance runner. <laughs> Um, but I had continued to run just for fun and didn't even really compete much in high school. And, uh, so the day, the day after my son passed away, I went for a run and I just remember crying and just all of this grit kind of like welling up inside me. And as I kept putting one foot in front of the other and I watched the sunrise, I just felt this determination in my soul that I was not going to give up. And then I was going to keep going. And so um, I kept running because it fed me somehow. It fed my spirit. It fed, like, supported my emotional heartache. It's like I believe we're a dual being. I think we are both spirit and, and a physical body. And somehow when you take care of your physical body, when you eat healthy, when you exercise, it supports your spiritual being. 
Um, and so, yeah, I started with running and then five years after that, I got into weightlifting and uh, it's kind of like one thing built on the other. The other thing, um, I, I'm a painter. And so I, in order to facilitate an art career and also being a mother, I had consistently gotten up at four in the morning so that I could paint before my kids woke up at, at seven or eight. And I continued to do that after my son passed away. And those hours were precious because um, the canvas provided for me uh, an outlet for all of these really ugly feelings. And so I could get up, I go into my studio and just like drip black paint if I wanted to, or, <laughs> you know, or, or spend time really focused on fine detail. But that, that practice of trying to, I, I tried to portray in my art things that I was feeling and I would cry. I would just paint and cry, like ugly cry, like sob for a couple hours. And then, um, my son would wake up my, I still had an 18 month, month old son at home and he would wake up and then I had to kind of be like, okay, we're going to put that away. Now I'm going to go be a mom. And, uh, so art was very, uh, cathartic, very therapeutic for me. And, um, but also like having my son, I mean, it was such a beautiful blessing to have somebody else to take care of. Um, I can't imagine if it was just me because then it makes it really easy just to stay in bed and cry and kind of wallow. But if you have someone that you have to take care of, um, it kind of helps you look beyond yourself and look to the needs of somebody else, which I think is really healing. Um, so yeah, like, uh, I also wrote, I continued to write in my journal and uh, I had a friend that had lost her son to a hang gliding accident the year before. And she had told me that one of the most therapeutic things she had done right after her son passed away was to keep a gratitude journal. And she's like, it's really easy. You don't have to write a lot. You just have to write every day, five things that you are grateful for. And so I did that. And I think that practice was so good because when you know you're going to have to write down what you're grateful for, then you start looking for things to be grateful for. And gratitude um, is very good for the soul. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was, I was really broken, super devastated. And through the, I look back now, you know, it's going to be, yeah, nine years here uh, in a couple weeks. And I honestly just sit back and see beauty, which I know might be hard for some people to hear, especially if you're like in the very early stages. But it's almost like before I knew loss, I was living in like the Garden of Eden <laughs> and life was so beautiful. And I was this kind of like known as kind of like a happy meister. I was a little positive girl. I remember in high school, my brother um, struggled with depression and he thought I was absolutely annoying because I would just be like, life is so great. Why can't you just be happy? Just be happy. Choose to be happy and you'll be happy. Oh, look, I made you muffins for breakfast. Why aren't you happy? I made you muffins. You know, it was probably really irritating because I didn't, I didn't understand that depth of sorrow, you know? Um, in fact, I look at videos of myself prior to losing my son and I'm almost like, can't believe that that's the same person. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, it's kind of like once I knew loss, I feel like I became more value, more useful 
as a human being because I realized that loss and, but more importantly, like pain is the common denominator in life. Like everybody knows pain eventually in some form or another. And so I feel like I became much more useful because I had a, an education in pain and in sorrow so that I could be a more useful tool to help other people. Um, and so, yeah, I, I look back and I just see all the ways that I've been able to use my art to help other people who have been through grief. And uh, I speak uh, whenever I'm invited to. And there's something about listening to someone else that's also been through something hard or some, some like a situation similar to your own that is like very comforting. Um, and so I'm, I'm, and I also find that like, I'm a much different mother, you know? Um, it's nothing like losing one of your kids to make you really appreciate all of the parenting moments, even when they're super difficult. <laughs> so that was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a fantastic answer. And I, and I think, there's a lot of people that will um, capture something of, of what you said and really kind of hang on to it. Um, I guess the um, there's ju- there's just so much richness in 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 what you spoke about, I- including the kind of personal sort of spiritual journey that has been alongside the kind of physical journey and that um, that sort of story arc of going from you know in the beginning before there was any sort of notion of, of pain or hurt, then kind of going into the sort of trough of, of, of losing your son. And then that, that sort of journey back to not the same place, but clearly a different place that, that you're able to speak from now um, with a lot more sort of reflection and a lot more um, internalized uh, wisdom, if you want. Um, so I'm sure that's that's all going to be really, really valuable to someone. Um, I guess I wanted to um, maybe pick up on a couple of themes that you uh, mentioned there. And I, I wish I'd written notes while it's you okay. were talking because there's <laughs> so much good stuff that came. Um, as you know, I myself, um, in the sort of process of, of our own losses, I've ha- I found myself increasingly on a physical journey and you you spoke initially there um about your running and about how running was your immediate kind of um physical response and then moving on to weightlifting and then obviously um your endeavors now with ninja warrior could you maybe talk a little bit about the sort of decision making process and how that kind of tied in with what you were feeling emotionally how you feel the two kind of complement each other? Uh, the decision-making process as far as uh, physical activity? Uh, um, yeah, so, yeah. Like like choosing to run and choosing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I just kind of like, I first of all kind of realized that I had two choices. And one was to sit and be sad or get up and do something. And um, the second option just sounded a lot better. (laughs) And um, yeah, like it it started with 
with running. And it was also a big part of my husband's journey. Um, he, he has a really interesting background, like obesity runs in his family. Um, uh, like when he was in high school, he was too overweight to be on the baseball team. So they made him the statistician. And um, his brother actually passed away four years ago, um, basically from the effects of obesity. And so he kind of jumped on this uh, physical journey too. After our son passed away, the first thing he did was sign up for boxing classes because <laughs> he's like, I just feel like I just need to go like beat the crap out of something. So um, he did that. And um, but then we, as, as time has moved on, it's been kind of beautiful because we've started exercising together um, and kind of have, you know, right after my son passed away, we had to uh, go to some grief counseling that was kind of mandatory because my son was in a hospice care for a couple of weeks and the hospice facility offered this grief counseling right after. And it was really kind of crazy because we go in and they say, we want you to know, do you know what the odds are of, of you two getting divorced after this? You know? <laughs> and I was like, they're like, it's like 75%. And we were like, Wow, great. That's really comforting. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. But we kind of decided, you know, early on, we got to do this together. Because, I mean, the last thing I wanted was to go through loss of a child and then a divorce, you know. And so um, kind of jumping on the the physical journey together kind of gave us something that we could kind of uh, bond over, do together, uh, process our own grief in different ways together through. So, um, and you just kind of come to a point where you decide this is just something I'm going to do every day. And so it, it's like, you don't even have to make the decision anymore because you already made the decision, you know? And, um, so even still every night when my husband and I go to bed and we say, what, what are you going to do tomorrow? Like, what's your, what's your workout tomorrow? And, and we do, um, Bikram yoga. Uh, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's doing yoga in a room that's 105 degrees with um, pretty intense humidity. And it is the most amazing practice. I recommend it to everyone <laughs> because first thing you do is you practice breathing, which, you know, we obviously just think of breathing as something we just do, you know, innately. But when you actually do focused breathing, it can help you process all kinds of things. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of like this very methodical movement of your body and you compress every joint in your body and release it. And that's been like super therapeutic. And then we also started rock climbing together, um, which has been amazing because you have a, you know, a belayer and then you have someone on the rock and you have to have this communication between the two and you have to trust each other a hundred percent. Uh, and so that's been really good too. And then my husband, yeah, actually helped introduce me into weightlifting. And I always thought, you know, as a girl, that that was like not a very feminine thing to do. But actually, as I've started weightlifting, I found it to be incredibly therapeutic because as you're like, it's all about resistance, right? And and just think about how those feelings of like, like lifting something heavy can like, translate into emotional or spiritual issues you know because like grief can be so heavy like I actually never really quite understand it because it's an emotion but you you feel it like this weight you know and um 
I just felt like as I strengthened my own physical shoulders that my emotional shoulders felt stronger too. So I don't even know if I answered your question. Oh, no, you, you definitely did. Um, I, so I think the, the beauty here is that I'm, I'm listening to you speaking and I'm drawing all the same parallels. The fact that, you know, I, I started off with our pregnancy journey sort of cycling and then I've kind of moved towards triathlon. Um, and very much for me, the, the journey is as much internal as it is external. So, you know, if I'm doing a, a, a hard ride and, you know, and I'm facing the next interval or the next hill, or I know that I've got X amount of distance at a certain pace and I don't want to go through it. And it kind of, again, for me, completely draws parallels with these moments in life where you go through something that you absolutely don't want to face, something that feels absolutely horrific, but you know that you're going to get to the other side of it. And so I think there's a certain, uh, there's a certain relatability to how our physical bodies cope with demands that seem like they are insurmountable in some way um, versus then, you know, actually making it through and going, you know, actually I, I survived what seemed unsurvivable or, you know, or I didn't and I'm still here. And, you know, I I had to take a pause or I had to, you know, stop and collect my thoughts or, you know, I caught myself in that negative talk that you sometimes do when you're Mm -hmm. working really hard and things just seem like they're all getting on top of you and you kind of realize I can't be my own worst enemy in this moment. So, yeah, so, so everything you're saying kind of just really, really draws parallels for me with my own um, journey. So again, thank you for for sharing so candidly. Sure. I wanted to also pick up on the relational aspect because I think that's probably something that affects lots of couples in this kind of context of all forms of baby and child loss. And you spoke about specifically taking up weightlifting and rock climbing together. I guess. I wonder if there are any kind of intentional steps that you both took from a sort of relationship perspective that went beyond just the sort of um, physical exercise aspects? Yeah, um, I think for one, you, you, it takes a lot of patience because you have to realize that you are each going to grieve differently. I feel very fortunate because I had art and writing and um, all these things as like outlets for my grief. But um, my husband was in grad school when this was going down, you know, and and he had to have a job at the end of all of it so that he could support a family. And um, in fact, while my son was in the hospital, we had to drive two hours to Phoenix. Uh, we were living in Arizona um, so he could do a job interview, you know. And I just remember being like, this is insane. Our son is in the hospital. We don't know if he's going to live. And we're at a job interview, you know. Um, I think it was also probably a blessing too, just that he had that something else, you know, to focus on. So it wasn't just totally consuming, but, um, anyways, and then he graduated, he got a job and we moved and he just started working, you know, and he just, his job doesn't allow him emotional (laughs) outlets. Like, you know, he, he works in business. And so I feel very fortunate because I've had all these outlets. And so I had, I found myself having to be very patient and non-judgmental 
um, when it came to my husband that I couldn't think like, oh, you, you haven't progressed in the grief journey like me, or you're not doing this and I'm doing this. You know, I just had to kind of like give him his own space and then, and just love him and then just wait, you know, just be here when he needed me. Um, and, and I had a lot of, um, emotional roller coasters too. I mean, after we lost our son, we had two more kids and there's all kinds of hormones that go on when you have <laughs> additional, you know, going through pregnancy and nursing even, and he was really patient with me. And so you just kind of have to be really patient with each other. Um, the other thing I would say is, uh, I'm very fortunate because my parents always dated each other my whole life. Um, even when I was, you know, in elementary school, high school, my parents would always say Friday night is our date night. Like don't ask to do stuff with us on Friday nights because they're taken. And so I just grew up with that. And I think that was such a tremendous example because it's so easy to not date your spouse, but it's really important to date your spouse. And so we just tried really hard to make each other a priority at least once a week or leave the house, get a sitter, go to dinner and talk to each other, you know? And so I think that's been like kind of essential <laughs> to get to getting through this together. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's really great advice and probably advice that I think, well, I certainly for one could probably improve on, um, in terms <laughs> of dating my wife. Um, so you spoke quite a lot about your own spiritual journey and, and your own beliefs. Now I'm aware that this audience may not necessarily all ascribe to the notion of, of God or a God or, or whichever brand of God there is, although clearly you and I share the same, the same belief structure. Can you tell me a little bit about what that kind of internal journey has been like for you in terms of, you know, how you see yourself fitting into the universe and, um, and how this story kind of has either helped or hindered that faith that you had already? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that, uh, I'm a child of God. Uh, I believe that I, my spirit was created by him. And that one truth has empowered me in, in so many ways. Um, and just the knowledge that I have a father in heaven who's aware of me makes prayer more natural, <laughs> I guess. And it's funny because I've had times where, as far as you talk about my place in the universe, feeling incredibly small. But then I've had these moments too, where I feel like God is like right there with me. And being in the hospital with my son uh, was very much like I felt flanked by angels all the time. And I just felt so supported and um, and that's why that space was like so special to me. Um, and then as far as dealing with it afterwards, yeah, I kind of felt afterwards like I had been through a breakup, <laughs> like like someone had broken my heart because my heart was broken. And um, and so at first it was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to pray, but I don't really want to talk to you, but you know, I'm praying because I guess I'm supposed to. And, 
anyways, I'll talk to you later, you know, kind of thing. But then, you know, in, in keeping the gratitude journal, I started to see all the ways that he was still reaching out to me. I had a son born prematurely after my son. So my son passed away in November and I found out that I was pregnant. Like I want to say around the end of January in the following year. And it was, I wasn't planning on that. It just happened. And then, you know, you just, you welcome any child with open arms. So I was excited. Um, And he was supposed to be born in October. And then he ended up coming uh, at 33 weeks. So he was seven weeks premature. And um, again, I was mad (laughs) because I'm back in the icy, you know, back in the NICU with the baby and he's hooked up to tubes and just being like, wait, I was just here with another son. And like, what did I fail to learn in the, you know, last year that like we're back here in the hospital with the kid in the hospital? Why, why are we back here? And um, and again, like I'm so brash. I'm so like <laughs> so honest with how I feel. And God is so patient with me because in my frustration and being back in the hospital, you know what I felt? I felt, Genity, I gave you a son back as soon as I possibly could. And then, and then I just melt, you know, and then I'm just like, okay, well then I can't be mad at you because this is a total, this is a gift, you know? And honestly, we only had to spend two weeks in the hospital with him, which is amazing when he was born so early. And so I felt like what a tremendous blessing that before I got to the one year mark of losing my son, I already had like another one in my arms and like, that's just, I mean, just this one of the like amazing blessings that came into my life. And so with that source of gratitude, you just, your art, your heart opens up more and more, you know? And then, um, I had a daughter (laughs) and then we moved and now we're, now we're at a, a point where it's been like five years since my son passed away. And I started to struggle with some like PTSD and it's weird because you're like, it's been five years, but all of a sudden like things just come back and you, you have dreams where you wake up and you're like at the side of the pool and you're sweating. And, um, and I started as my kids, you know, got more independent, getting so nervous because I'd see them go outside. <laughs> you just felt like anything could happen. A car could come, you know, lightning could strike. And you, you feel this tendency to become like a helicopter mom. And I realized that I, I had to do something about what I was feeling or I was going to be like a paranoid, horrible mother. Um, and so I kind of took all these feelings to God and I was just like, what, how, what am I supposed to do about this? And, um, I, I, I read in the scriptures all the time and I went in the scriptures and I, I read this verse that said that we were supposed to like sacrifice our broken hearts. And I was just like, what? How do I give my brokenness to you? Like, how do I give you this grief? And um, that was a question that I wrote and I thought about it for a while. And I read a book by C.S. Lewis, who is like one of my all time favorite authors. And it was called The Great Divorce. And in it, he, uh, it's a very interesting book. I recommend it to everybody, but he kind of does this analogy where he starts out in hell 
and uh, every day a bus comes from heaven and people have the opportunity from to, to go from hell to heaven if they want to. And um, not very many people even make it onto the bus because they're fighting in the queue that they don't even manage to even get to the, the bus. But then the few that do get to the bus and then eventually get to heaven have really interesting encounters with angels. And they are all welcomed to heaven, but most of the people don't want it. And um, one of the little examples that happens is you have this man that has like, he's from hell. He has a, a giant lizard on his shoulders and he sits down next to this angel and the angel says, you know, I could, I could take that lizard from you if, if you want me to. And the lizard um, whispers in the man's ear and says, no, don't let, don't let him take me. I'm all you've got. You can't let go of me. And he has this struggle, you know, as the, the angel continues to try and convince him to let go of this beast, this lizard that's on his shoulders. And eventually the man says, okay, do it, take it, take it. And the angel grabs the lizard and the lizard burns and writhes in the hands of the angel. And the angel picks the lizard off of his shoulders. And then the lizard is not just destroyed, but it actually transforms into a white stallion. And then the man from hell is able to get on that stallion and he rides it into heaven. And I saw this beautiful symbolism of something that was so ugly and so painful that when given over to God became something extremely empowering and beautiful. And uh, I kind of felt like my son didn't want to be a lizard and that he would rather be a stallion. And so I realized that I had to sacrifice or give up my broken heart and to let it go. And that's really scary because there's a part of you that says, if I'm not sad every day for the rest of my life, then I have forgotten my son and that you don't love him anymore because you're not crying today, you know, and that's a lie. Um, and I think it's, it's a lie of the adversary to keep us in bondage to grief and to, and to keep us weighed down. But what's kind of amazing is that if you can just give it over to God, then he can transform it into something totally empowering and amazing. And you find that you don't have less love for your son, but you have more. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, um, yeah, so I I was reflecting on on lots of things as you spoke there. Um, you'll maybe be aware that um, for 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 everyone in this audience, grief is is a significant part of their lives, and and I guess it's that that notion that that holding on to the grief can sometimes stop us from actually encountering the fullness of of what these lives that we've lost can can actually ultimately mean in in the fullness of, of our own story so that's just um yeah that's that's definitely kind of stewing in here somewhere um so we're probably getting close to the end of the time that we normally allocate to the um podcast i guess i wanted to uh, find out from you if if there's any like legacy that you've found for your son if there's anything that you do in his honor or or things that you 
you or your family might kind of engage in that kind of recognizes him uh, now that he's no longer here? Yeah, um, we do a couple different things. His birthday is June 10th, and we always go get Happy Meals on his birthday because he loved hamburgers, even the crappy ones from McDonald's. <laughs> and he loved Thomas the Train. And I have pretty much the whole island of Sodor in train sets. And so we'll play trains. My son is now, yeah, my oldest now is 10. And he even is still like, okay, let's go. It's Morgan's day. We're going to play trains. And um, so we do that. And then on September 26th, that is the hardest day for me because that's the day he fell in the pool. You know, it's kind of like November 12th became kind of deliverance day, but September 26th is the one where you wake up with like the pit in your stomach and just like, oh, you know, it's the day you wish you could change forever. Um, and so when I came up on that one year anniversary, that was really hard. I think the one year anniversary of everything is super difficult. I think the first Christmases and all the holidays, first birthdays are really hard. And anyways, I, I had this, I told you, I had this brand new baby and I had a two year old and I thought, how am I going to handle this day? And it's like, you see it coming like a train, you know, and you're just like, how am I going to face you? <laughs> and I realized, you know, again, I kind of had two choices. One, just like cry my eyes out the whole day and let my kids watch Disney movies and I'll just be sad. Or I could spend the day like I had one more day with him. Like, what would we do if we had one more day together? And so I decided that sounded like a better option. And so we've named it Kids Day. And on Kids Day, my kids don't go to school and I don't do dishes and I don't do laundry and we just play and we do whatever they want. And it's usually pretty simple. It's like my daughter's favorite thing in the whole world is like to play dolls in her room. And so that's what we do. Um, and that's been kind of like, I think, a beautiful tradition. And my whole family, my my siblings and my nieces and nephews have all kind of jumped in on that tradition of doing Kids Day with us. And so that's been really good. I definitely feel like I do everything in memory of him. <laughs> I feel like every painting that I work on is in some way um, tied to him. And uh, definitely American Ninja Warrior I don't know if those listening are, are like know what this is, but it's a TV show in the United States uh, where you compete on obstacles. <clears throat> and it's really funny. I never imagined this being a part of my story ever. <laughs> my husband and I have watched it. Have you watched the show before, Carl? Uh, yeah. So they have a cup. I think at one point they had a UK, UK version, version as well. Yeah. yeah. So my husband and I had watched it for years and, we would always watch it and then look at each other and be like, would you do that? And we'd be like, no, <laughs> you know? Um, but then what happened is last, uh, let's see, it was two years ago. Um, my brother invited me to go to the climbing gym with him. I had never climbed before. And I was like, cool, let's go. And one day bouldering inside a gym. And I said, I have to do this like at least three times a week for the rest of my life. And so I got a pass and shoes and just started climbing. And I loved climbing because you had a very specific goal every day. You know, you had this route and, and there was clear markers for progress. You could see this day I, I was able to do a V0 and then the next day I did a V1 and then a couple weeks later I got my first V2 and it was so exciting. Anyways, so I was climbing and then one day I was climbing and I had this thought. And the thought was, you should apply for American Ninja Warrior. And I thought, absolutely not. That sounds <laughs> terrifying. And so I pushed it away. 
But I really feel God speaks to us in thoughts. And whether you believe in God or not, you will agree that sometimes you have thoughts that you don't agree with that are, are kind of thoughts that, that are trying to push you to do something that is difficult. And it's really easy to just say, nope. <laughs> but I want to challenge those listening. The next time you feel something like that, something that you know would probably be good for you, but you don't want to do it, just choose to do it because I promise you'll be glad that you did. So eventually after a couple weeks of fighting, um, I actually prayed about it, which might sound silly to some, but I was just like, is this something I really should do? And I felt like really good about it. Like, yeah, you should. And I said, oh, okay, fine. Well, I'll apply, but that's no guarantee that I'm going to compete on the show, you know? <laughs> so I made an application video. Um, but we didn't have any kind of ninja gym near me at the time. And so we just had like an indoor trampoline park that had a few obstacles. And so I went to the trampoline park and every time that I had been there before with my kids, I would try a couple of the obstacles and then some of them I would just look at and I would say, I have small children. I shouldn't be doing this, you know? And so, um, but then the day came to shoot. Uh, and I had hired this this film guy and he was like, okay, this I need you to do. You're gonna do the quintuple steps to the rolling log, to the spider wall, to the devil steps, and we're gonna do it all in one take, go. And I was thinking, I've never done this before, but fantastic. <laughs> so I, I go to the start line and all of a sudden, I felt my son and I felt him say, let's do this mom. And I, didn't expect that. <laughs> but when he said that, I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so I stopped questioning myself and I just ran and I went right through the course. I did all four obstacles. I had never done them before, but I just went. And when I, when I came down off the devil steps, I just stood there and I looked at my husband and I said, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> you know? Um, but anyways, but then I started thinking about it and I was like, Oh, well, if I, if I, you know, do this American Ninja Warrior thing, like what a great ways to like memorialize my son and to share our story on like national television. And, and so I thought, wow, I should maybe start practicing this sometimes. <laughs> so I applied and then I, I found a gym that was like an hour away that I could go train at. And then a month into training there, a gym opened just 20 minutes from my house. And I thought, wow, that's really beautiful so then started training more and at first I couldn't do a single thing I would like the first day I went to show up just imagine this like a 34 year old mom walks into a gym with a bunch of like 20 year old boys you know <laughs> 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 and you know everybody you know it's like hey I'm Kyle I'm studying this at the university you know and and, and then I'm like hi I'm mom I've had like four kids and I don't really know what I'm doing here. Um, and then like, I feel like an idiot because they're like, okay, we're doing laches. And a lache is when you swing on a bar and then you launch your body six to eight to 10, whatever feet through the air and grab another bar. Right. And so I had never done this before, but I was like, okay. And I start swinging and then I fly through there. Don't even come close to tapping the bar, you know, and you just fall on the mat <laughs> and you're like, okay, this is going to be a lot more difficult than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> so then you pick yourself up and you do it again. And this time I tap the bar and then you think, oh, this is possible. I actually, my fingers made contact. Wow. So then you do it again. And the next time I overshot it 
and my wrist went right into the bar. This slammed into this metal bar. It's like boom. And I was like, oh, that hurts so bad. Oh my gosh. I'm like on the floor, like holding my forearms, like wondering if I can paint tomorrow, you know? And then I was like, okay, one more time. We're going to get it. So I swing. And guess what? I did the exact same thing. My wrist slammed into the bar. And I told my coach, I was like, dude, I keep like throwing my wrist into the bar. And he was like, you should really stop doing that. And I was like, you're a terrible coach. <laughs> <laughs> so I go home the first day with like ice packs on both of my forearms. I can hardly hold the steering wheel in my car. And I thought, this is stupid, Genity. This is dumb. You should not be doing this. But then I, I continued to like feel like I should. And so the rational part of me had to submit to the, the other part of me that's saying, no, you can do this. And so I said a prayer and I said, listen, okay, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to need like a little bit of backup next time. And I'm going to have to see some progress or I'm going to like really injure myself. And so I just kept going to the ninja gym once a week. And every time I was like sweating bullets before I even got there, like just driving in my car. I'm like, why are we doing this? And then I would walk in and be there with all the boys and be like, I feel so stupid. But then I said, Jenny, you don't have to do the course. You have to do one thing today that you didn't do last week. Just one thing. And so I did. I, I eventually got that lache. I eventually got the bar. And then you feel amazing because something that once seemed impossible, you just did. And then you think, well, what could I do next week? You know? And so week by week, I would like add an obstacle and get a little bit better. Well, then in April, the producers called me, invited me to be on the show. And I was shocked, you know, because my video did not show me doing anything cool. Like as far as <laughs> Ninja is really concerned. Um, so I was like really flattered that they let me on the show. Um, but then driving, we competed in Seattle and just driving there. I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is crazy. And then you go there and you see all of these cele like celebrity ninjas that you've seen forever on the show. And you're just like, oh, that's Jesse Graff. Oh my gosh, that's Mick Martin. Oh my gosh, that's Lance Pegas. What am I doing here? And then, and then it's your turn. And they're like, Jenity Page. And then you stand up on that stage and you're just like, <laughs> but then what do you feel? What do you think about? I think about my son. And all of a sudden, it's like you can see these years of like, you know, it's like one of those moments like in TV where they like flashback and it's like, digga, 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 digga. like you see all the moments just lining up that have led you to this moment, you know, and you and I feel so empowered by my son who's just like, mom, you are so cool. I am so glad to be here with you. And you just want to cry because it's such a beautiful moment. And you realize that you couldn't be having this amazing moment if you didn't also know hell, you know, if you didn't know the depth of sorrow, you wouldn't be able to feel this elation, you know? And so I was able to compete on the show and I was actually invited to compete again this year, but COVID. And so I'm going to try again <laughs> next year, but um, yeah, like that was, that, that was an incredible way to memorialize my son and just to share his story with producers and, and hopefully reach somebody, you know, who's struggling. Um, but I think more than anything, just realizing that you're capable of more than you think you are. Like you are capable of making it through grief. And you are capable of doing 
really great things. You're capable of doing a triathlon. And and I think like keeping a belief system like that as you move forward is just so empowering. And then realizing that not it's not just for you, but you can use this to help other people. And I honestly think whether you believe in God or not, like the biggest source of healing is just that thinking, how can I use this to help somebody else? That's just so inspirational. It's so superb. I, I, I don't want to gush too much. <laughs> but um, but um, just before we say goodbye, how can people kind of get in touch with your story? How can people get to know a little bit more about you? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm on Instagram uh, quite a bit. Uh, my handle is just my name, Jenedy Page, J-E-N-E-D-Y-P-A-I-G-E. And um, I do a lot of like painting tutorials, but also just talking about hard things that happen in life. <laughs> um, I have a website, which is jenitypage.com, where I have all of my art. And if you click on the images, it brings up words, uh, things that I have written about it. And lots of them have to do with uh, going through grief. And then I actually published a book called Coming Full Circle, which is available on my store, um, which you can get there through my website. Or you can just type in store.genitypage.com. And that book is really interesting because you get to see the art that I did um, when I said I was like getting up at four and crying and painting. (laughs) And then it kind of brings you through more recent art. Um, So it's kind of like the grief journey through paintings. Wow. Well, I... I can't think of a single bereaved parent who wouldn't have something to take away from this conversation and something to be feel empowered over. So with that said and done, I just want to thank you so much. Um, as you know, we kind of com- connected initially through um, social media as well. And I think it's always that worry sometimes when you meet people electronically, first of all, and you kind of don't know where the, where the conversation will go or where, um, where the, experience and relationship will lead and I just have to say you are one of the most inspirational people I've um, come across so thank you so much Uh, I personally will take a lot away (laughs) from what you said here today thank you and good luck in your own journey and all your triathlete stuff that's it's really awesome thank you so much and I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll obviously keep everyone posted with how that gets on okay sounds good take care see ya bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.